Mark chapter 3, let's get into the scripture together. Mark chapter 3, and we're going to begin in verse 7. And please stand with us, if you would, for the reading of the scripture. And I'm going to read a rather lengthy portion of scripture without any comment, and then we'll, we'll look at it in some detail in a moment. Mark chapter 3, verse 7. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea. And a great multitude from Galilee followed him, and from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Idumea, and from beyond Jordan, and they about Tyre and Sidon, a great multitude, a great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. And he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude, lest they should throng him. For he had healed many, insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him, as many as had plagues and evil spirits, when they saw him, fell down before him and cried, saying, Thou art the Son of God. And he straightly charged them that they should not make him known. And he goeth up into a mountain... And calleth unto him whom he would. And they came unto him. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him. And that he might send them forth to preach. And to have power to heal sicknesses and to cast out devils. And Simon he surnamed Peter and James the son of Zebedee and John the brother of James. And he surnamed them Boanerges, which is the sons of thunder. And Andrew and Philip and Bartholomew and Matthew and Thomas and James, the son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus and Simon the Canaanite and Judas Iscariot, which also betrayed him. And they went into a house. Now let's look again at verse 7 before we pray, because it sort of captures several things that we're going to talk about this morning. But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea, and a great multitude from Galilee followed him and from Judea. Our Father, we thank you today for the precious word of God. We thank you that we have in our possession, almost everyone in this room, at least one copy of the very word of God. And as we address the preaching time, We come with a respect for truth and with a bit of honor and appreciation for the Word of God. But we also pray that you'd open our eyes, that you'd speak to us from the Word of God, that we might hear your voice in the Scripture, and that we might not only hear it, but we might apply it and learn from it and obey it and be changed by it. We thank you for these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. We put a quote that I read recently in uh, the bulletin this morning. It says, if you want to hear God's audible voice, read the Bible out loud. (laughs) Because the Bible is God's word. And we thank God for letting us have a copy of the word of God. In this passage, we see Jesus withdrawing himself in verse 7 with his disciples to the sea. And we're going to talk about that some, 
But in this passage, I think we see something that we really need to understand about God's desire for us. And what was Jesus looking for? You know, when we look at the New Testament, we see people coming to Jesus, crowding around Jesus, some coming from great distances and coming with a variety of reasons, some to criticize, some to be helped, some out of, uh, out of a, a real serious predicament they're in, some of real, a place of desperation. We see all that in the verses that we just read. But what was Jesus looking for? We often look at the Lord and look at what he did for people and what people came to him for. But what was he looking for? He faced multitudes of people. Throngs, the Bible called them, a throng of people. And they came from every direction. But what was his objective? And I want to look at these groups of people as we tackle that question this morning. And I want to notice three Three distinct groups of people. And the first one we see found in, in verse 7, it calls them a great multitude. So that's a, that's a group of people, a people group. They're multitudes. And the Bible says they came from every direction. We have a little graphic we're going to look at just briefly to let you see that this morning. Because if you look, if you're able to see that, look at the graphic. The Bible says they came from Galilee, which is the northern region of uh, Israel as we'd know it. If you see that kind of in the, looks to me like a light purple, Galilee up kind of close to the top, and then below that is Samaria, and below that is Judea. It says they came from a, a Galilee, from Judea, and the city of Jerusalem, which is in Judea, and from beyond Jordan, which would be on the, the right side of the map, across uh, beyond the Jordan River, and is from the place called the Bible calls Adumia. That's a, the arrow is pointing at the left. Adumia is, is another word for Edom. It's the Greek word of saying Edom. So look how far south they were coming to where Jesus was. And Jesus was up around the Sea of Galilee. If you go back up to that place, Galilee, and see the body of water. And if you go to the far north, you see Tyre and Sidon, which is now Lebanon. And so from all this region, it's really, it's really amazing to me. When you think about how many hundreds of miles that separated these distances, and you look at how, and, and without the aid of uh, internet or social media, telephones, automobiles, bicycles, without the aid of any of those kinds of helps, people were traveling to that region around the Sea of Galilee to be where Jesus was. The multitudes, the Bible says, thank you, man. From all these places, and why did they come? Look in verse 8. A great multitude, he used the word multitude again, a second time. A great multitude, when they had heard what great things he did, came unto him. So all these people were coming because of what they had heard. And what they had heard, and this is a very important thing to understand, they came because what they heard he was doing. Now for me, it's hard to imagine this kind of crowd. It would be likened unto people packing to a major stadium in one of our large cities. Thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of people because of what they heard. Look at verse 9. And when he spake to his disciples that a small, and he spake to his disciples that a small ship should wait on him because of the multitude. Have a ship ready in the water because of the multitude lest they should throng him. Now, what Jesus was doing is warning the disciples about the possibilities of these crowds becoming uncontrollable. 
being unruly. They were pressing upon him. They were not polite. And the reason was because they wanted to do one of two things. Either they wanted to bring their desperate needs to him that he could heal them, or they wanted to be close enough to see what he was about to do. Crowds of people, throngs of people. And the Bible says in verse 10 there that he healed many. Insomuch that they pressed upon him for to touch him his, as many as had plagues. And unclean spirits would fall. Those who had unclean spirits, they were demonically possessed. They would fall down before him and they would, these spirits would cry out, Thou art the Son of God. So all this was going on. All this was happening around him. And all these people were interested in him for what he could do. But the interesting thing about it to me is they weren't really interested in him. They were just interested in what he might do. Or what they might see him do. There's never a mention of these crowds loving Jesus. There's never a mention of these crowds wanting to serve Jesus. Or even being considerate of his time or his space. They may force him out into a boat because they're so out of control. They're not captivated by the truth that he taught. They're not, they're not drawn or, or find any appeal to the fact that he's teaching them the truths of God. It's all about what he might do for them. That's the multitudes. They just wanted to know what he would do for them. Not what they might do for him, but what they would do for him. That's the multitudes. But there's another group of people in this text. If you'll join me back in verse 7, it says, But Jesus withdrew himself with his disciples to the sea. There's a distinction made there between the multitudes and the disciples. Can you see that? The multitudes are pressing upon him. The multitudes are out of control. The multitudes are almost like a mob. But he withdrew himself, the Bible says in verse 7, with his disciples to the sea. If you look in verse 9, it says, He spake to his disciples that a small ship might be prepared. He was, he was including his disciples in the work. The mob is out of control, but his disciples are different. He can actually teach them. He can actually instruct them. He can give them projects. He can give them assignments. They will follow those instructions. In verse 13 it says, And he goeth up into a high mountain, or excuse me, up into a mountain. And he called unto him whom he would, and they came unto him. These are his disciples. He, he, drew him, he withdrew himself up into a mountain place, away from where the mob was, where the crowds were. And he chose those, he drew those that he selected. Notice what it says in verse 13. He called unto him whom he would. And notice the last part of verse 13. And they came unto him. They weren't coming to get anything from him. They weren't coming to press upon him. They weren't coming to take advantage of him. They were coming because they wanted to be with him. They followed him. They weren't following him because of hysteria. They weren't following him because they just wanted to see what he might do. They came because they wanted to be with him. 
verse 13. And of that group, in verse 14, it says this, And he ordained twelve. Now, that's the third people group. The first one's the multitude. The second one are the disciples. And the third group are the twelve. He called unto him, in verse 13, whom he would, and they they came unto him, and he ordained twelve, that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach. He ordained twelve. The Bible, when we think of ordination, a lot of times... As Baptist churches, we think of a ceremony where you have a pastor and a group of people and you have a candidate up there and you're trying to ask him hard questions and he's, he's you know, about to pass out for fatigue. But that's not, what, that's not what an ordination was here. Jesus selected them. He ordained them. He chose them. He picked out 12. And it was by his own selection. It wasn't based on their pedigree. It wasn't based on their occupation. It wasn't based on their age. It was based on his selection. He picked out 12. Of those he called away from the multitude. He didn't call these 12 out of the multitude. He called people out of the multitude. And of those he called away from the multitude, he selected 12. And he commissioned them in verse 14 that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach. Hold your finger here in Mark chapter 3, if you would, and go to the right to Luke chapter 6, and just a couple of things in Luke's record of this same period of time that I'd like to notice. Luke chapter 6 and verse 12. It says, And it came to pass in those days, Luke chapter 6, verse 12, And it came to pass in those days, That he went out into a mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to God. And when it was day, he called unto him his disciples. And of them he chose twelve, whom also he named apostles. So Luke clarifies in our mind that when Jesus called the group aside, it wasn't just the twelve. It was a group of his disciples. And from those disciples, he selected 12 whom he called apostles. The word apostle means one that has been sent. Apostello, one has been sent. And from those who were following him, for those who wanted to be near him, for those who were disciples, were learners, he sent out 12. Let's go back to Mark chapter 3. Mark chapter 3 again in verse 14. And he ordained twelve that they should be with him, and that he might send them forth to preach, and to have power to heal sicknesses, and to cast out devils. These twelve, he gave unique power, unusual power. Now, we live in a very um, amazing time, really, as far as spiritual things go in our world. And it's not just here in America, it's really in, in the world, but... Lots of people claim to be a lot of things, and a lot of them claim to be apostles. And there is a sense in which a missionary could call himself an apostle if all he means is he's been sent. That's what the word means, to be sent. But a lot of these husband and wife apostle teams are not biblical. I ask ask you to think about these three groups of people. You know, the multitudes and the disciples and the apostles and this group of apostles that had, had powers that no other people have ever been given, they had the same power basically Jesus had. 
They could they raise sometimes raise people from the dead, right? By the way, there was just an incident made it was big in the news. I don't know if you saw it, where a man in South Africa, a preacher in South Africa, had a staged resurrection from the dead this past week. Come to find out, the whole thing was fake, you know. But it it, it was widespread for a while. But it was a prearranged resurrection. A lot of nonsense goes on in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, we look at these three groups. We have the multitudes, we have the disciples, we have the apostles. And I'm going to ask you to think about that. We see the multitudes, what they were like, what they were interested in. By the way, don't don't miss this. When I first came to Jesus, I came with needs in mind. I needed help. I needed someone to salvage my life. I came to Jesus for help. And he, by the way, he, he answered that cry. He saved our soul. He saved my soul. He changed our life. So I, I, can rec- I can identify with someone coming to Jesus, wanting a need to be met. What I cannot relate to is wanting just, that's all you ever want from Jesus, is just have a Jesus who will bail you out in problems. Because he did, that's not what his plan is. We'll see that here in a moment. So, how, where, what, which of these three groups best describe you? And I just, I don't want to burst your bubble, but it wouldn't be the 12. <laughs> you know, that was a closed group. That was a closed group. But the pattern, I think, of how Jesus selected them is relevant. We can relate to it. And that is, Jesus takes those who are following him and he selects them sometimes for places of service where he might use them. I think he still operates in that same fashion. But we're not one of the twelve. So what else is left? Well, there's the multitudes. And I would hope to think that no one here would want to be in that category, but, but just think about what they were. They were not in any way, please hear this, they were not in any way committed to Jesus. They were only committed to trying to get someone to help them in their life. Their interest is in what he could do for me. What can he do for me? What can this miracle worker do for me? But there's no indication that they followed him, obeyed him, loved him, lived for him, wanted to be saturated with his words. They were just a part of this out-of-control multitude. The third group is the group of disciples. What distinguishes them from the multitudes? They were spending private, personal time with Jesus. They they wanted to be near him. Sure, they had needs, and I'm sure they took their needs to him, but it wasn't all need-driven relationship. They were following him. They were willing to follow him, whatever that might mean. They were serving him. Does that describe you, a disciple, serving Jesus, following him, available to him, interested in learning from him? I think it's that group that most of us, if we're not in that group, ought to determine to be in that group. I want to be a disciple. I want to be a sincere follower of Jesus. I'm not going to be a person who just comes to Jesus with a laundry list of needs every time I have a crisis. I want to be a person who will pull aside from everything else in my life just to spend time with Jesus. Just to sit at his feet and hear his word. Just to learn about him. 
Now here's, here's the thing that I want to lift from this text today and spend a few moments emphasizing. And I, I, I began with the question, what was Jesus looking for? And this is what Jesus was looking for. He was looking to draw people to himself. He was looking to have people who would be devoted to him, who would love him, who would follow him, who would obey him, who would serve him. That's what Jesus was looking for. He pulled his disciples away from these crowds that he could spend quality time with them. He called a select group of those people up into a mountain where he could be with them. Jesus was looking for people that he could spend their lives, that would spend their lives living with him, living for him. Those who would take his teaching seriously. Those who would serve him according to his will. I ask again, which group of these people... Which category, category of these people would you put yourself in? I want to I really focus in on a portion of verse 14, if you'll join me there again in Mark chapter 3, where it says, And he ordained twelve that they should be with him and that he might send them forth to preach. And the part of that phrase I want to emphasize is that they should be with him. Even the 12, think about the 12. The 12 have this unique power. This, they're going to go out and preach. He's sending them out around that region where these people were coming from. He's going to send them out. They have a special calling, apostles. They could heal those that are sick. They could cast devils out of those who are spiritually troubled. But what was the first thing he ordained them? Look in verse 14. Just look at that and let your mind settle on this. He ordained 12 that they should be with him. I want to suggest to you today that the highest calling we have is to be with him. Just to be with him. Not to, they're going to go out and preach. But before they were to go out and preach, they were to be with him. These 12 very unusual, very unique, very special people were called to be with him. Now, I don't like to be a negative preacher, but I am. <laughs> this is going to sound negative, and I don't, want to, I don't want to be negative, but I find this to be true. It seems like a lot of people, even people who claim to be saved, aren't really interested in being with Jesus. Now, that's not a good testimony, is it? Being where Jesus is, doing what Jesus wants us to do. I mean, here's what the, this is what you have in common. This is what even people in the multitude have in common, I think. They don't want to spend forever in hell, right? Who would? They don't really want to go to hell and burn forever. But they don't really, they don't really like what heaven has to offer either. Praising God, worshiping God. Living for Jesus. They don't really, they don't want to go to hell, but they don't really like all that heaven stuff all that much either. They want Jesus to forgive them of their sins and to be there when they need Him. Those aren't disciples. Those are not disciples. 
There's more to the Christian life than just asking Jesus to forgive you of your sins and to be there everything, every time you need him. A lot of people are looking for Jesus to make them feel better. You know, make me well. And I'm not opposed to that. But that's not what it's all about. Those same people, though, they're not interested in praising God. They don't... You know, they're not interested in worshiping God. They're, they have no interest in serving God. Don't ask me to go out of my way to do anything for God. You say, that sounds negative. I'm just telling you, that's the way a lot of people believe. And they claim to be followers. In reality, coming to church or having Bible study for many of these professed believers cannot compete with laying around the house and watching a movie or cooking out or having a good time. Those things, on a scale, those things far outweigh what it would be like to go to church and sing praises to God, hear the word of God. I think that's the way the multitudes were. I was thinking this morning about the maniac from Gadara, that demon-possessed person, controlled by devils, really brought terror to his community. But Jesus set that man free. He changed his life. And here's what that man did. As soon as he got converted, the first thing he did was Jesus got out of a boat, came on shore, dealt with this man. He and his disciples were getting back in the boat. And you know where that man was, that that new convert? He was in the boat. He didn't know where Jesus was going, but he wanted to be with Jesus wherever he was going. That's a little bit different, isn't it? Than a person saying, set me free so I can go live as I please. His was his mentality. Set me free so I can serve you with my life. I think our message in the gospel ought to be clear. Jesus came to save sinners. But I think think when the message is more like Jesus came to make you happy and wealthy and successful, I think we're giving people the wrong message. That's what this multitude was interested in. Now, again, Jesus came, please hear me, Jesus came to forgive us of our sins. Jesus came to change our lives. And every person in this room and every person in the world who will come to him in repentance of their sin and faith in him and what he did on the cross for their salvation and trust in him completely, he will forgive them. He will save them. He will change their life. Thank God for that. But what is he looking for? He's not just looking for people that will take what he can give. He's looking for people also who will follow him, who want to be with him. I'm I'm of the persuasion that selfishness is really at the root of our sin problem. And Jesus, please hear me, Jesus did not save us that we might remain selfish. I almost feel like I need to repeat that. He saved us that we might serve, that we might serve him. It's becoming more and more common in our day for people even to shop for churches or look for churches based on what it'll do for them. And by the way, when I, when I started coming to church, I needed a church to help me. I didn't know anything. I didn't know the Bible. I didn't know the songs. I didn't know anything. I didn't know the lingo, you know. Took a while to learn some of that stuff. I needed every bit of it. 
But there's more to coming to church than just getting our emotional and social needs met. It's developing a relationship with Jesus Christ that is real. That'll be just as real when we walk out that door and we walk in our home or we go on the job tomorrow. It'll be just as real. And where we come to the place that before we start our day more than anything else in the world, we just want to start off being with him. And think of him during the day. And consult him. And seek him. And ask him for direction and for wisdom. And when we make mistakes for forgiveness, that's the Christian life. That's what a disciple does. Here's what Jesus wants. He wants you and he wants me to be close to him. He wants you to be with him. That's what verse 14 says. He ordained 12 that they should be with him. And I thank God for the 12. But I want to say something to you today. If you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you've been born again, you have just as much access to be with him as the 12 did. He wants us to be with him. And I believe this, that people who spend time with him, people who communicate with him, people who love him, People who follow him will also want to obey him and serve him. Don't you think? Absolutely. Because of their relationship with him. It's possible for a person to be in church and really not be drawing closer to him. It's possible. We're thinking about other things. We're thinking, man, I wish it had been something different this morning (laughs) on the plate. We're thinking about all kinds of things, you know what I'm saying? But one thing I love about church is we can draw close to him in our worship, in our praying, even in our fellowship, in hearing the word of God, we can draw close to him. That's what he wants. And... I'm not saying this morning that this is all that matters in the Christian life, but I will tell you this. I think we would be hard-pressed to find anything more important in the Christian life than just being with him, spending time with him. And he called the twelve to take the gospel to the multitudes, but the first thing he called them to was to be with him. And I would, I would say this with a lot of confidence that this would be a true statement this morning. It's possible even for people who are preachers, Sunday school teachers, serving the Lord, to neglect their time with him. He called us first to be with him. Amen? And if you're here today, the only way you can be close to him is first to be saved. Because there's something that separates you from him. Right? And what is that? It's your sin. It's our sin. Our sin separates us from him. We can't have, he, he loves us, but he can't have fellowship with sin. 
And no matter how much you or I may try, we can't on our own eliminate that sin problem. Because on our best day, we're still sinners. And God is holy. So holy. That as much as he loves us, he cannot ignore the sin in our life. That's why Jesus came. That's why Jesus came to this earth. Eventually, he made his way, as we heard in the songs today. Eventually, he made his way to Jerusalem and then to the cross where he was crucified. Where the sinless Son of God died on a cross for your sins. That you could be forgiven of your sins. That you could be washed and cleansed from your sins. Aren't you glad about that today? Jesus died for your sins. He died that you could be forgiven. And that's the greatest need any of us have is to be forgiven, to be genuinely forgiven of our sins. And you don't find that by joining a church or being baptized. You find that by putting your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ and receiving the gift of eternal life. It's a gift. And maybe that's what you need to do today. Maybe you've come to this church often. Maybe today's the first time you've ever been here. But you, you said, that's what I need. I need, I need forgiveness. I, I, need, I need to know that my, my life is right with God. I need to know that when I end this life, I'm going to go to heaven. And the only way you can do that is through Jesus Christ. Jesus said this. I'm not making this up. Jesus said this. I am, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. There's only one way to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. Because he died for your sins. He paid our sin debt. You must receive him. And you don't, I've, taught a lot, I've said a lot today about following him and obeying him and serving him, but you don't go to heaven because you obey him and serve him. You go to heaven because you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. But when you get born again, you're going to want to know this Jesus better who paid such a great price for you. And you get to know people by spending time with them, right? Spending time with them.